You're listening to the Next Exec Podcast Series with Executive Women's Forum. In this episode, our guest Vidya Murphy talks about a wide range of topics such as critical problems to solve in the medical device security space and her vision for bringing regulation, business, and technology together to solve such problems. She also has some sage advice for millennials on working in a startup and how pursuing an advanced degree in business propelled her to success. Hi, Vidya. It's really nice to have you on the next Exec podcast. I'm so glad you could join in for a conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, chat with you today. Awesome. I really wanted to know what a day in your life looks like as VP of operations at MedCrypt. Yeah, so I think one of the many reasons that attracted me to startup life is that no two days ever look the same. So being in the space of cybersecurity for medical devices, which essentially is an industry that didn't exist five years ago, and having to both build the industry as well as our product, as well as everything that goes with running a company, means that some days I'm focused on finding new customers and stalking folks on LinkedIn. And then other days, it's all about talking at conferences and sharing thought leadership on research that we've done. So I think partially, for me at least, being at a startup is in fact novel because each day is different and I can figure out what the priority is for the day and pursue that. So really, it kind of runs the gamut. That's very interesting. I think a lot of people in the cybersecurity industry can relate to that because every day is different. Every day we're involved in a different kind of cat and mouse game. Absolutely, right? So cybersecurity is perceived as this very technical, specific niche thing. But reality is it's actually a variety of different jobs, functions, efforts, and it includes kind of the super most technical coding that has to happen to make a device secure, but it also means building a policy and it also means training and awareness. So to your point exactly, cybersecurity is so robust and varied. It absolutely is reflected in probably the day-to-day life of every cybersecurity practitioner. I couldn't agree more, especially on the part where, you know, in order to ensure a successful outcome, we need all cylinders firing and you're absolutely right. So tell us how you came to the startup space. Did you start in the startup right off in the beginning of your career or did you just build your profile slowly towards working at a startup? No. So when I was graduating college, I mean, it was kind of the in vogue thing to do was to go into consulting. So I went to consulting and I, uh, I really enjoyed my time kind of getting to see different customers, getting to see different enterprises, how they work, industries and learning just so much. And it was constant absorption about what security looks like in all these different facets. It took me abroad for a couple of years. And then once I came back, I really wanted to kind of pick an industry and focus on it. And at the time, healthcare was especially near and dear to my heart. So I, I had the chance to join a large medical device manufacturer working in some of their product and personal health information security efforts. And that kind of turned into this opportunity where focusing in that area was not kind of something commonly done across multiple manufacturers. So it was really kind of the bleeding edge of what product cybersecurity was going to look like as the industry started evolving. 
And at the same time, as is common for anyone in healthcare, the company I was working for was acquired by another company. And so it was this kind of this opportunity to say, hey, given how common this is in our industry, going down this path of mergers and acquisitions and kind of dealing in that ecosystem, something I want to keep experiencing. And at the time, it didn't feel like it was quite the right fit for me. So I started pursuing my MBA. And it was almost the first day that I was updating my LinkedIn saying I was starting my MBA that the CEO of MedCrypt reached out and said, oh my gosh, you're cybersecurity, you're getting MBA and you're in San Diego. I'm the only person I know who does that. So we should be friends. And two years later, I was ready to jump chip and go to work for the startup for him. So uh, I think it took me there because after having that broad experience of seeing a variety of corporations and then picking an industry, you're able to have a certain level of influence when you work for a specific corporation. But the extent of influence when you're kind of building an entire ecosystem is that much greater and you really can potentially influence multiple manufacturers and and change their practices. Wow. Yeah, I think you built a really strong foundation. So if I were to just step back a bit and ask, Did you start consulting in the healthcare space or did you consult in other domains as well? As a first year consultant, you don't really have a lot of control over what you do, but I was able to at least stay in security at the time, but I had a variety of industries, which in retrospect was actually really helpful for me to figure out which industry best suited my needs. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely sounds like you chose healthcare for a reason. So what prompted you to work in the healthcare space and specifically in the medical device security space? Um, Yeah, healthcare is one of those things where if you are lucky enough to have access to quality healthcare, you never realize what the other end of the spectrum could look like. Having seen kind of what the worst case scenario could be for folks and how difficult it can actually be to obtain care, and and how much of the challenge in providing that care is potentially based on technology, it really kind of drove my interest in the space to say, how can can I potentially alleviate some of the pain in this spectrum? And, And took me towards looking into this space. And as I got more and more into it, kind of this notion of everything becoming connected and stuff operating remotely and devices going home with patients. I mean, just like with IoT devices proliferating, we see the same trend happening across healthcare. And it seemed logical that device proliferation substantially changed the quality of care a lot of individuals receive. But at the same time, if not done in a methodical and secure method, then it will absolutely introduce a whole series of new risks that until now we haven't really had to face. Very interesting. I think most of the times when we think about security for healthcare, it's, or the focus is mostly on, or the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is about Uh, how a healthcare CISO runs the organization for a hospital or a research facility. And most of the concerns seem to be around data privacy, handling of very sensitive personal information. And you brought up a very good point about medical device security. Could you elaborate a bit more on the role technology plays in securing medical devices? So you're absolutely right. The common perception of what is healthcare cybersecurity is protecting personal health information. And and I think that's absolutely augmented by the fact that the headlines that you read in the newspaper are always about a laptop went missing at a hospital, a hospital got breached, and you keep hearing these stories. 
And you hear stories of the Office of Civil Rights going in and doing audits and then finding hospitals because there are HIPAA violations. And so it's not surprising that that is the most commonly perceived vulnerability when it comes to healthcare cybersecurity. But the reality is, and this trend kind of started maybe five, seven years ago, is that devices got connected to enhance quality of care. But at the same time, it started to become this mechanism for vulnerabilities to be identified. But then you started having prominent hospitals like the Mayo Clinic, who started folding in cybersecurity requirements into their procurement practices. And change in any industry really comes about whether it's from a customer mandating something new or from a government regulatory body that enforces it. And in 2014, we saw both of those things come to fruition. We saw hospitals requiring cybersecurity, and then we also saw the FDA, which has regulatory oversight of devices, start saying we need to see cybersecurity well and sufficiently addressed as part of your device coming to market. So it's this whole kind of space that historically it made sense to not worry about because they were sitting in isolation and not really connected. But as these devices are becoming sophisticated pieces of software, it absolutely introduces the same risks we see in in software everywhere else. Yeah, that definitely sounds interesting. And you made some great points. So where do you think there is scope for improvement? Or where do you think the industry should really be heading when it comes to securing medical devices? I think when this first started, it used to be that medical device manufacturers would make their device, push it out into the wild, and hope that nothing went wrong. And if a vulnerability was found, they would react in some way. And, and what we've seen from a trend perspective is that hospitals are no longer willing to bear the burden of securing these devices. They don't want to be responsible for adding technology to secure a linear accelerator. It's just technically too complicated. And saying that they can rely on the firewall that a hospital puts in place is difficult, as now we see more and more devices are leaving the ecosystem and they're operating from the convenience of a patient's home. So I think where it's trending towards is instead of having reactive post-market types of cybersecurity interventions, such as patching when a vulnerability is found, we're seeing that there is a better value for security investments during the design phase of a device. So that means if a architecture decision during ideation of a device can consider, oh, we need to be able to implement cybersecurity requirements into the chip selection that we're choosing, that would fundamentally change the risk profile once it's actually operational in the field. So when you mentioned about incorporating security during the design phase, it almost seemed like a callback to what we in the industry standardize and say secure software development lifecycle. Absolutely. So we shouldn't really do, you know, reactive security, but we should build in the security components during the design phase, during the chip design, during the device design. And what about integration? Are there any challenges in security when it actually comes to putting out these medical devices and then determining if these medical devices are performing or functioning as intended? I think two thoughts there. One, when you look at medical device manufacturers, the clinical engineers that are tasked with developing a device quite infrequently will have sufficient budget to do what they need to do 
to begin with. So they're going to have a long list of clinical things they need to deliver on. And then somebody comes along and says, okay, and you need to do this cybersecurity thing. In most cases, clinical engineers are not cybersecurity experts on the side. Like there's really this, this disconnect between the ability to add this cybersecurity thing into devices. And, and it used to be this decision had to be made of, okay, if you want clinical functionality or you want cybersecurity. And to your point exactly, it wasn't sufficiently integrated into the secure development lifecycle yet, but we see that more and more these teams are having to fold security into their, their development process. And if they don't, they then are trying to bolt it on at the last minute when either the FDA comes back with pushback or a prominent customer comes back and says, no, this doesn't meet our minimum requirement to actually come into play. Now, part of what the FDA has mandated in their pre-market cybersecurity guidance from 2018 includes precisely what you said. Manufacturers should be able to monitor their device once it's clinically live and where there is potential intrusion be able to both detect that and take proactive action. Currently, what we see is when a hospital has a device that for whatever reason is acting wonky, it sometimes just gets sent to the hospital IT team at a hospital who doesn't necessarily have the time or bandwidth to be looking into the log and figure out why something isn't working. More often than not, they want to get that device back on the floor and operating and supporting and some, some patient. With that in mind, you have to think about how can the manufacturer get insight into their device if they don't have the ability to see it or if it just gets a, the firmware gets flashed and all of a sudden all the logs are gone. So it's absolutely something directionally that folks need to develop, but we're seeing it as a bit of a challenge in, in terms of showing what they're going to do in the field right now. Now, the thing we haven't talked about is this layered complexity of having a device inside a hospital. So if a hospital chooses to not let devices have external connectivity, how can a manufacturer be expected to have visibility into their device? It's just technically a challenge. And so there's kind of multiple layers of consideration for how effective it really is to monitor these devices post-market. Yeah. And based on what you said, there are like different layers of complexity involved uh, there are multiple stakeholders who are all coming together, some who are technical in certain aspects and some who are technical in another aspect. Like, for example, cybersecurity technicians know cybersecurity, clinical engineers know the healthcare space. They're both technical in different ways. And then we also have a lot of non-technical folks. And there seems to be or there seems to be a need for constant communication between these different practitioners in order to achieve a successful outcome. So in your experience, how do you think the technical folks can be an ally to non-technical folks and vice versa? Yeah, I think this goes back to that definition of what is cybersecurity, right? An effective cybersecurity policy will never be as effective without kind of that human buy-in and the people. It's a common trope to say the weakest link in cybersecurity is the people, but the reality is a well-designed device that has sufficient proactive security can make it easier for a person to effectively have cybersecurity involved. Think of your mobile phone, right? How frequently do you get updates that are pushed to it? And because of the user experience being so easy and so transparent, you're able to stay relatively up-to-date with security without it really impacting your user experience on the device. I think that same notion has to be built into healthcare. And instead of 
kind of making it this individual separate process, if we really think about folding it into the design, that, that would fundamentally change how much of a burden, quote unquote, this really is on the industry. Yeah. And if you were to give any advice to millennials who are considering taking up a career in the medical device security space, what problem do you think millennials should really be focusing on solving? I think the generation that's coming up right now, there is so much innovation happening that is dependent on some of these core IoT functionalities, right? Like you have 5G coming, you have edge computing, you have all these things that are going to become almost blasé as part of the next generation and taken for granted. Really considering how that impacts how we perceive cybersecurity. There's there's such a culture right now of being willing to give away information for free and conflating privacy with security is something I could definitely see happening as a potential trip up. But as, as folks think about what that problem really is and whether we want to have intentional security practices and kind of a mindset of secure before it goes into the public, I think that would really shift kind of across the, the universe of, of what's happening. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point that you made about conflating security, I mean, privacy with security. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's something that everybody needs to pay attention to in the medical device security. And space. it's almost terrifying, right? It's almost like folks have become desensitized to the fact that their information is out there. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, it's, it's almost in every, like with when you buy your groceries, you're giving away your information. <laughs> it's, it's literally in almost every facet of life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think my take on that is that, you know, if a millennial comes into the space and decides how to update a pacemaker on the fly, I think they're going to be very successful. I think that's Ooh. my take on this. <laughs> yeah, it, there's so much clinical care. I mean, COVID is a perfect example of this, right? There's so much that can be done without having to bring a person into a healthcare organization that I think that the notion of remote care provider will absolutely be something that plays into the future for a long time. Cool. So, but yeah, I think you've given us a lot of interesting points to think about and mull over. One thing that you did mention during the course of our conversation was that you did an MBA. I think I'm just curious to know how an MBA degree has added value to your career and how it has helped you become successful. Yeah. So going into startup land, it's almost antithetical to have a, an MBA, right? Most people try to tout the fact that they never went to college or they got their training in real life. For me, the MBA has, has been a big opportunity to really broaden my worldview and give me exposure to a network that was able to, to genuinely help me find what it is I want to be when I grow up. As I mentioned, right, in healthcare, there's a lot of activity and you're constantly in this situation of kind of multiple bosses. I think for me, the MBA gave me the confidence to know how to navigate that, as well as to now that I'm wearing kind of 15 different hats, be able to know how to run a company while also figuring out sales, while also developing a product. If I were to reconsider, should I or shouldn't I go into an MBA, I think pursuing it because you are looking for confidence network and a variety of skill sets is absolutely one that I, that I would value. And, and, and I think I alluded to this, the CEO 
found me because he's an alum from the same school and, and it was within the first week of school starting. So it, it was really just, they, they say the power is the people. It's 100% true. You, you connect with folks that are only going to help you become a better version of yourself. That's fantastic input. The fact that you told that your education actually helped you find this job and be able to demonstrate your competencies in, in a variety of different roles. I think that was very valuable input. And you're right, because in Silicon Valley, being the dropout is the cool thing. And then right. having an MBA is actually sort of the opposite of that. You know, it's, it's an advanced degree and you've Ooh. been so successful with that. So that's absolutely essential. And it's not to say you can't be successful without it, right? I just, I spend less time Googling how to do X because I know I've learned it and I can have with some confidence what the next step should be. So I, um, for, for me at least, it was, it was the right decision at the right time in my career. Awesome. That's really great. So yeah, I think with that, I really wanted to thank you, Vidya, for joining us on our Next Exec podcast and giving us details about your career journey to VP of Operations. And I hope your enthusiasm really inspires our listeners to come to the medical device security space, um, to pursue a higher education and be more confident in what they're doing, and also to contribute to the society in a very meaningful and impactful way. So thank you so much for coming over. I really appreciate your time and the intentionality of the conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cynthia.